This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area, there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there, or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather, they have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. You're going to hear a lot of talk. We also have a big posting on this Leobor decision that came down on that Providence officer, uh, John Lugo. He was the one initially, the commissioner of public safety, Stephen Perry, and also the police chief, Hugh Clemens, they moved immediately to fire him. This was after... Last June, there was a rally at the State House. He intervened to try to stop someone in the middle who was being assaulted. But what they found in the course of the hearing was basically that the person that made the complaint, Jennifer Rourke, completely exaggerated and if not, if and actually came right out and lied about what had taken place. What also led to this was a five-second video that was put in slow motion, totally taken out of context, that basically framed the whole story and seemingly made it impossible for Lugo to be treated fairly. What is disturbing here is the Public Safety Commissioner, Stephen Perry, they pretty much admitted that they didn't do a full investigation before they just seemingly caved to public pressure. They were getting calls from uh, elected public officials to just fire the guy, but now he is not, in fact, been fired he um, will now return to the providence police force of which again you would think that in the heat of the moment and i remember saying at the time they should have just said you know we're going to investigate this we're not going to do anything premature but instead they they kind of took the bait and jumped in now let's get to some of the news of the day such as president biden addressing age concerns as he has announced he's running for re-election Let's pick it up. His re-election bid. Take a look. I respect them taking a hard look at it. I take a hard look at it as well. I took a hard look at it before I decided to run. And, uh, and I feel good. I feel excited about the prospects. Chief White House Correspondent Mary Bruce was asking the questions. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, George. Well, the president knows that his age is a major concern for a lot of voters. Even a majority of Democrats have said he shouldn't run again in recent polls. But the president here is clearly trying to tackle this issue head on. He has always said that these concerns are legitimate. He clearly considered it, his age factoring into his decision about whether to run again. But the president has always said, look, just watch him. Just their plan here is to show Americans day in, day out that he's doing the job and that he's up for this. I also asked him about the Trump factor, the president telling me that, look, he doesn't think he's the only one who can beat Trump, but he certainly knows him well and clearly has done this before. And he, that is part of their central argument, that Biden has beat Trump once before. He thinks he can do it again. But when I asked if he thinks he'd be running if Trump weren't, he said, yeah, he does, because he says he has a lot more left to do. Michael. I don't think so. I think that a big part of his decision to run is because President Trump right now remains the front runner. Now, someone that has certainly run into some problems here is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, because Disney is punching back at DeSantis. Listen to this this piece. I think he's going to rue the day he the took them on. filed a First Amendment lawsuit against DeSantis, a potential GOP presidential candidate, did so yesterday, alleging he has led, quote, a targeted campaign of government retaliation, close quote, against Disney ever since Disney publicly criticized the state's so-called don't say gay bill last March. Manuel Bohorkas has more. Disney's lawsuit was filed just minutes after a board appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis nullified provisions that allowed the company to largely govern the land around Disney World. In its suit, Disney calls the board's decision patently retaliatory, patently anti-business, and patently unconstitutional. DeSantis has called Disney's opposition to the law out of line, and while on a visit to Israel this morning, addressed the suit. They're upset because they're actually having to live by the same rules as everybody else. They don't want to have to pay the same taxes as everybody else, and they want to be able uh, to control uh, things without proper oversight. 
The feud goes back to March of last year, when Disney spoke out against the state's parental rights and education law, which bans lessons relating to sexual orientation and gender identity in Florida classrooms. The controversial law, which previously only applied to grades K through 3, was expanded in recent weeks through the 12th grade. In Florida, gender ideology has no place in our schools, and if that means taking on Disney to make sure that's the case, we will do it. This is a lot about his image and how he's uh, perceived Republican primary voters. Um, and they feel like this helps them. GOP political consultant Terry Sullivan doesn't see DeSantis backing down as the governor weighs a potential 2024 presidential campaign. But if he were to want to get to a general election and actually gets there, uh, what does it mean at that point? You know, you cross that bridge when you come to it. Disney is a heavy economic hitter in Florida. It's the largest taxpayer in the state, employs more than 75,000 people there, and is a major driver of tourism. The company projects it will draw around 50 million visitors to Florida this year. In comments at Disney's shareholder meeting earlier this month, CEO Bob Iger appeared to foreshadow the lawsuit. A company has a right to freedom of speech just like individuals do. The governor got very angry about the position Disney took and seems like he's decided to retaliate against us. I think there is something there to Disney's argument. CBS News legal contributor Jessica Levinson acknowledged DeSantis's claim that his administration is simply treating Disney as all other businesses in the state are treated. But she added this. It seemed like everything was fine in terms of how Disney was being treated until they started criticizing the government. That's where you get that freedom of speech claim. For CBS Mornings, I'm Manuel Bajorca. I think um, a problem with that, folks, that I believe that comes in for Governor DeSantis, and believe me, I know he was being cheered on and a lot of people felt that he was going after Disney for, as they said, for being too woke, but... I, I think the first their freedom of speech and also the government coming down hard on a business that they disagree with. In this case, the state of Florida, Governor DeSantis and Disney, you can't argue. I mean, God, they as a result of they employ 75,000 people, they're the highest taxpayer uh, because of Disney, 50 million people from all over the world visit Florida to, to go to their theme park. But I think, you know, many times like this, you have a public official, and suddenly as a result of this, meaning him attacking Disney, he certainly got a lot of attention. He got donations all over the place. He started speaking everywhere. And so he just continued down that path. But Disney is no small operation. And as you can imagine, they have the resources, very deep pockets, where they can go up against this and fight this in court. I'd probably even argue they probably even have better legal people than Governor DeSantis employs, which is many times the case. A lot of those in private practice are more successful, more experienced attorneys than some of the people that hold uh, state jobs. So I think um, I, I think now I, I start to think that this was a mistake and he may end up just drowning in this legal battle against Disney. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. This portion of The John DePietro Show, it's brought to you by Lawn Doctor, your best lawn ever guaranteed. And I can tell you with my own experience what a fantastic job they did and have done with my lawn the easiest thing to do is log on to their website it's lawndoctor.com lawndoctor.com put in your zip code your best lawn ever guaranteed it's lawn doctor of rhode island you can call them 401-392-1025 but log on to their website lawndoctor.com Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is our legal expert, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It is attorney Tim Dodd. If you don't mind, I'd like to just start off with the Carlson situation. Obviously, huge news during the course of the week. Also, Don Lemon 
but just there's a lot we don't know. But in this particular situation, obviously he would have a contract and a very lucrative one. But um, what is unknown is the out they used and the how seemingly Monday he was. They picked up the phone and notified him that his time with Fox had basically come to an end. Exactly what his contract says, and certainly there's always. You know, he's got a provocative show. They want him to be provocative. They want him to be, you know, the topic of conversation. And certainly he delivers a show that his view, some of his viewers love, his critics hate. Um, there's a number of issues. Recall that years ago, Don Imus got quote-unquote fired or pulled off the air because of some things that he said were, which were, you know, could be taken as being racist. Um, They tried to fire him, and as it turns out, under his contract, there was no provision to be terminated for that offense because was supposed to be, you know, outrageous and controversial and edgy, what have you. So they had to honor the contract in his case. And I'm sure the same will be true with, you know, Tucker Carlson. I think his on-air opinions on things like uh, the January 6th event and other um, matters made him really poison for mainstream advertisers. So they all headed for the exit and he was left with just a couple of staunch advertisers who, I mean, how many pillows can you buy? Right. Um, After a while, there's really no more juice to be squeezed for advertisers out of that show. But the fundamentals as to why he was probably let go, there was the confluence of the 60 Minutes piece, which talked yep. about January 6th and really disparaged Tucker Carlson. That came on the heels of the settlement of the Dominion case where Tucker Carlson's back, you know, behind the scenes communications with co- other hosts and other, you know, executives um, really made him like that he, you know, passionately hated Donald Trump and other things that he said. Uh, Apparently other things that came out was that, and I won't repeat it, but he called Sidney Powell the C word. Uh, People on his staff apparently were very sexist. Apparently, allegedly was a very misogynistic place to work. Uh, Women allegedly weren't treated well. And this was all brought to a head with that lawsuit filed by Abby Grossberg, who used to be one right. of his producers, she produced for him and for Maria Bartiromo, uh, claiming an anti-Semitic workplace, a sexist workplace, um, lots of very crude language being used, lots of employees being intimidated and threatened. Now, that's not all directly attributable to Tucker, but... The stories that I'm reading suggest, John, that um, more is to come. Apparently, maybe surreptitious recordings of Tucker Carlson carrying on in his office, and I'm sure saying things that he will be very embarrassed if they are repeated either in print or on air. Um, Most of it would probably have to get bleeped, but if the stories are correct, that's all yet to come, which will, you know, Um, thrill the left, thrill the mainstream media, and be another black eye for Fox News. And, you know, what was their biggest um, ratings getter? Uh, Tim Dodd, uh, it's amazing, though. uh, Rupert Murdoch, I mean, he, at the end of the day, seemingly at the top, came to the decision that they had basically just had enough and with the lawsuits, I want to just one one thing, and we are obviously speculating, but the January 6th thing is interesting because it's one thing if he says, and we don't know this, but they've just been arguing, like, in my opinion, but um, it, it, it's it's tough, Tim Dodd, to, to separate what happened with Dominion uh, in the settlement there, because w- without question, I mean, as much as they may have been saying in their opinion, we 
we had already, and people are still speculating about that, but behind the scenes, we know they were not fully on board with everything that was being broadcast. No, and when Tucker no. Carlson is texting or emailing yeah. saying, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, we're saying things that aren't true, but we got to keep our audience and we got to keep the stock price up. I mean, that's the most cynical um, opinion or attitude an on-air personality could have. I'm going to tell, say things that aren't true to hold my audience and to keep the stock price up. When that yep. sort of information gets out, um, it's hard to rehabilitate one's credibility with all but the most you know, ardent followers of his show. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Now, Tim, also, NBC News is reporting Hunter Biden's legal team met with prosecutors at the Justice Department to discuss potential charges against the president's son, ongoing Delaware criminal investigation. Now, what, what, are, we, what are we to make of that? Um, how it, it's an unusual situation. It is the son of the president, but I, I can't imagine NBC News would put that out if they didn't have have it solid and. What, what type of what type of meeting would this, you know, potentially be? Well, uh, what would generally happen and it doesn't happen often, but if defense counsel in a criminal case, in a federal criminal case, um, before charges ultimately are filed or not filed, um, counsel can request a sit down with the U.S. attorney's office to make their pitch for why the case should not be brought, for why the case will be difficult to prosecute, and, you know, facts that would tend to show that their client is not guilty, or facts that show that, um, depending on what the defense is, there's an alibi defense, the conduct doesn't square with the statute, um, any number of different things. Now, we are in a news world where the leaks kind of control the news cycle and they're unattributed, but we get these leaks and usually they show themselves to be correct once the full story has developed. But in this case, so you got Hunter Biden's um, team meeting with the U.S. Attorney's Office pitching that charges shouldn't be brought. And amongst the charges, I guess, that are being contemplated are tax fraud charges, failure to file tax returns, and other tax-related offenses based upon, I guess, not showing all the income that was coming in. That's going to be a tricky wicket for the U.S. Attorney's Office, even if defense counsel brought forth facts or arguments about the law, which might tend to show that Hunter Biden should not have charges brought against him. That's with the backdrop of this whistleblower who is yet to be identified, who works, I guess, for the um, between the IRS and the U.S. Attorney's Office, who is ready to come forward with information about this Hunter Biden investigation. Um, and how things may not be as they appear in the news media. So if this whistleblower has information relating to the Hunter Biden investigation, um, I would think that the U.S. Attorney's Office has to look behind its back carefully to make sure whatever it does is not upset by whatever a whistleblower might tend to bring out at some point in time. It's hard to imagine that Hunter Biden will not face criminal charges. Um, it could be just a last ditch effort by his legal team. Let's, let's make one more run at it. Let's throw a Hail Mary pass and maybe we can convince somebody that this shouldn't happen. Um, it seems like the um, Justice Department has been really dragging its feet with all aspects of this Hunter Biden um, situation between his tax reporting, um, the information on his laptop, um, and really investigating other potential you know, financial crimes that are going on. Um, it seems to me the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Justice Department have to do something 
to try right. to keep some of their credibility intact because it's it's going downhill at a rapid pace. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services. 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401 739 1322 free consultation 401 739 1322 locally owned and operated serving rhode island and southeastern mass they offer services for termites bed bugs ants roaches mice rats in the summertime spring fall mosquitoes and many other pests call today for a free consultation whether it's for your home or restaurant maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a month call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 residential and commercial whether it's an office building a school a hotel a restaurant or your home call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 we speak with our legal expert it's attorney tim tim dodd tim let's pivot into the city of providence uh, huge news for Officer John Lugo. Now, that was last June, protests at the State House. He found himself in the middle of it. Uh, a video was put out. It happened on a Friday night. On Saturday, a video comes out, slowed down five seconds, and it, it seemingly shows him, it looked like it, uh, hitting his political rival at the time. We've since learned that you know, the video was definitely put up taken out of context the, the whole element has slowed down he really didn't punch her the way she had actually been on his on his back jennifer rourke but anyhow that monday police in providence quickly moved very rapidly and they announced that he what they wanted him terminated he had to drop not run for office now we have a new mayor he he challenges with uh labor and and seemingly they have come out and it sounds like the Jennifer Rourke accusations kind of fell apart, but it's a big uproar. But Officer Lugo, Tim Dodd, is now seemingly a lot of people are surprised, but he is not being fired by the, the city of Providence. Well, he shouldn't be fired. It, it was it never made sense to me that the Providence Police Department was out front so quickly saying this guy's going to be terminated before a criminal trial, before a full investigation before much of anything, based upon, as you say, that little five-second clip, which captured uh, millions of views on social media, but was really a distortion, and, as you say, taken out of context as to what really happened. At trial, um, the election... And the court found that the charges had not been sustained. Lugo brought in an expert, you know, in terms regarding police procedures, who testified that Lugo's um, actions were appropriate under the circumstances. So there's this Bill of Rights hearing, and apparently it was a unanimous decision, which doesn't often happen, but unanimous that Lugo's uh, sanction should be a 10-day suspension without pay. Now, I don't even know if that's really justified, but I guess Lugo can live with that because he keeps his job. Um, I think termination would have been um, grossly inappropriate and out of, out of balance based upon what, I mean, he was found not guilty at trial. Um, the evidence was far different than that original five-second video. Yeah, um, He's had good counsel. He had good counsel at the criminal trial. He had very good counsel at the uh, Bill of Rights hearing. Um, Carly Iafredi, who does a lot of this type of work, she's excellent. And I think that Lugo, all things considered, um, I thought he would have gotten less than the 10 days without pay, but I'm sure he'll live with that. And hopefully his career will go on. Yeah. Now, Tim Dodd, staying in the city of Providence, it was last week Channel 12 came out with this uh, provocative investigative piece 
where they they paint a picture of you have the the new chief you have his brother who's a sergeant and then you have their nephew who has been uh arrested and the, the, no one was seemingly on the record but tim white paints a picture that there's an investigation uh because the brother the sergeant of the chief his brother uh works in narcotics um one of those things a lot of smoke no fire uh it did result for the chief sitting down with the mayor on camera and addressing the the allegations on channel 12 i'm just curious your your thoughts on the channel 12 piece involving the the chief of police in providence well as you say at this juncture there's smoke but no not yet any fire that we know of um it is a curious situation that sergeant perez who's in narcotics um, one would presume he knew or reasonably should have known that his nephew was out there, you know, trafficking drugs um, within the state of Rhode Island and elsewhere. Um, it seems, you know, hard to believe that he wouldn't have known what um, the nephew was up to. Um, was now Chief Perez... Um, aware of what was going on. I mean, he's got perhaps a better argument that he was removed from the day-to-day investigations of the narcotics department. But again, this is Oscar Perez's nephew who has been arrested and is alleged to have been involved in drug dealing and drug trafficking. It's hard to believe that they wouldn't have known what was going on and that they turned a blind eye to it. I mean, certainly Sergeant Perez is much closer to the potential flame than Chief Perez is. Right. And the only thing that would make me think that, although it's a provocative piece, perhaps the facts are different than the perception, is that when Oscar Perez was interviewing to become chief, apparently he put it right out front with uh, Brett Smiley that there's this situation involving his brother, the sergeant, and his nephew, the, dr- the alleged drug dealer, um, and that it could get to be, you know, a news story. And I think uh, Mayor Smiley took that to be, you know, something to Oscar Perez's credit that he came out front with it, let him know before you make your decision to make me the chief, if that's your way you're going, you got to know this. And yeah. um, the fact that he put it out there would would lead one to believe that he knows about it and that he has um, um, no exposure from a misconduct standpoint. The sergeant, bro- the sergeant brother, I'm not so sure about him. I guess time will tell if he's got a plausible explanation for not knowing, being in narcotics, what his nephew was up to. Yeah. Folks, we're smooth with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, the Attorney General, uh, Attorney General uh, Peter Narona, is certainly, uh, you know, gaining some fans within the media. This is interesting that he has weighed in. There's been a lot of grumbling about, and I totally relate to it and understand it, of what the media goes through with some of these public records requests. And I'm curious your thoughts on that he has weighed in because I have dealt, I've dealt with these people that say, all right, can you, you got to fax your request over. You try to explain like, what do you say? You know, it's 2023. Who has a fax machine anymore? Um, what about the attorney general weighing in on, on the way that requesting of records needs to, to be updated? Well, there's a lot going on between the attorney general's office and the governor's office. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of um, skirmishes between those two offices, but the one you're referring to deals with APRA requests, which is access to public rec- the Access to Public Records Act. And it's a very convoluted statute um, in its simplest terms or form. It is supposed to allow the public to make a request to obtain public records. Now, typically under the current uh, statute, you've got to either make your request in person or through the U.S. mail or by fax to the extent anyone still has a fax machine. Um, the law does not allow for requests to be made. I believe you cannot do it via email. 
Uh, Peter Nerona saying, well, why not? That's the way we all communicate these days. days. The statute should be modified to allow for um, these types of electronic requests, which does make a lot of sense. There's further um, back and forth going on on APRA. Um, there's bills at the state house to try to streamline the process and to make more um, records obtainable, such as when uh, records are subpoenaed from governmental entities. I don't know that Nerona has weighed in on that specifically, but the governor's office is pushing back against that because it could compromise investigations. I, I think with APRA, one of the things that really needs to be looked at is the unbelievable expense that you run right. into when yes. you request records recall a couple of years ago patricia morgan was yeah. trying to get records and she got a bill for like twenty three thousand dollars or some yeah. crazy number um there's got to be a um more efficient way to get these types of records than to charge these exorbitant sums. I mean, it has a chilling effect on the, on the public's ability to obtain these records. So you may have a legitimate interest in getting certain records. And you're told, okay, you can get these records, just send over a check for X thousand dollars and you can get them. You know, scratching out that check is not always the easiest part of the process for people who are looking for information. So, APRA's really does need to get looked at um, in, in the main. There's many components of it which would appear to need modification. And everyone that's looking for a modification, there's pushbacks from other elements who want to keep the statute the way it is. But Peter Nerona is, I think, right on saying this should be done electronically um, and not have to be in person or by fax or by U.S. mail. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Legal expert attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps they did a fantastic job on my outside steps outdoor kitchens landscape lighting retaining walls lawn installations excavation call limitless outdoors today let's dream build and enjoy 401-580-1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he has been going back and forth with Disney. And I, I think it's interesting how Disney is now striking back. I, I think he's going to regret getting into the legal mud with Disney. There's a lot of this, these accusations of they're a private business. He's attacking them. I think they're trying to make a First Amendment case, which is interesting, but... I think he, I believe he's going to regret the day that he decided to get into the mud with Disney. But what 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 can you um, tell us about this this legal situation that's currently happening? Well, I, I agree that he's going to regret into the mud with Disney. Um, you've even got you know curiously or or not not really curiously Donald Trump's bashing DeSantis for this overkill with. Um, what's going on with um, Disney. It's more or less started when DeSantis um, was pushing legislation which would uh, prevent elementary school, public elementary schools in Florida from teaching about um, sex education, sexual orientation, and things of this nature. 
um, based on the premise that it's inappropriate for schools, especially when kids are in elementary school, to be taking on the role of um, talking about sex and, you know, um, binary people who are binary, all, all sorts of different sexual permutations. Um, the opponents of the bill um, nicknamed it the Don't Say Gay Bill, which, you know, is something that's resonated with the media. Right. Um, it, it kind of distorts what the bill really is. Uh, there are certainly two sides to that coin, whether you should be teaching this sort of things to elementary school kids or not which is not the point of our discussion here, but that's the genesis really of right. what occurred. So when DeSantis was pushing for this bill to keep sex ed out of elementary schools, um, the then uh, CEO of Disney pushed back against the proposed legislation that DeSantis was pushing. So DeSantis retaliates against Disney to try to take away Disney's relative autonomy in terms of governing itself and attempted to put in and replace the board, which ran, I think it's the Reedy Creek district, uh, which comprises most of Disney world and put in his own people. So there's been all sorts of <clears throat> maneuvers with the um, Disney control board versus the DeSantis control board to try to limit um, Disney's autonomy to govern itself, you know, regarding buildings, regarding zoning, regarding all sorts of land use issues. Disney now sues DeSantis saying, this is political, this is retaliatory. You know, this is not things that are being done in good faith, but it's simply to punish Disney. They say that, you know, this is a constitutional issue uh, DeSantis's administration says, we don't know of any other um, part of Florida that has these sort of self-governing provisions, and why should Disney have any special privileges? Well, this is an attack on your political enemies, yeah. and I think it's wrong that DeSantis is doing it, just like I thought it was wrong when the Obama administration was using the IRS to go after right-wing organizations. That was equally wrong. That was right. an equal use of governmental power to punish your political enemies. And whatever you think of DeSantis and whatever you think of Disney, I think anytime any governmental entity uses its power to punish its political enemies. And that's what this really is. Right. Um, I don't know what the courts will do with it, but from a public policy and public perception standpoint, I, I agree with you, John, that I think DeSantis will rue the day that, that, that he took on Went Disney. Down this road, because, yeah. Because the optics are terrible for him. Right. And on top of that, I mean, you're talking about a giant, and they're not going to just go quietly. I think the, the First Amendment argument is an interesting one. And I could see where this could happen. He takes a swipe at them. Suddenly he gets, you know, some donations. He gets some press. He take another swipe. More people cheer. And the next thing you know, he's going to war with them. But it, it doesn't mean it was right. Um, uh, Tim Dodd, should Steve Bannon be nervous? Uh, Steve Bannon, I mean, again, he was flying high 2016. And then in the aftermath, he was at the White House. But this... His ally and uh, business partner with with Build the Wall is 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 looking at some serious jail time. Well, yes, your audience will recall that Bannon was involved in an organization that was raising money to build the wall, and part of their pitch for donations was that a hundred percent of the donated money would be utilized towards the construction of the wall. They raised a lot of money. And it turns out that Bannon and his two partners in this exercise were taking a lot of money for themselves. And um, Bannon was charged and his two associates were charged. I think one just got hit with like a four-year prison sentence. Another one is already in jail doing like a three-year prison sentence. Bannon probably would have faced the same fate. Um, except that Donald Trump, in the waning days of his presidency, pardoned um, um, 
Bannon on this. So I'm not sure anything can happen to Bannon at this point based upon the presidential pardon, but it's pretty clear that um, donors to this um, attempt to raise money for the wall, they were deceived and defrauded because a lot of money was um, directed elsewhere, such as I think the guy who just got sentenced to jail was using the money for cosmetic surgery, to buy himself a boat, to take expensive vacations, and certainly other things that could not be legitimately seen as administrative expenses. So I, I think Bannon will be okay from uh, the potential to go to jail or to be convicted. But um, from, again, a public perception standpoint, um, it's real bad for him. And I think his credibility and his reputation, um, to the extent it wasn't already damaged, this, this whole thing with his associates going down criminally um, certainly does rub off on him from a public perception standpoint, at, at the very least. Yeah. You wonder if he's going to try to get it delayed, hoping President Trump could get back in office and then maybe pardon him again. But, Tim Dodd, finally, um, there's been all this talk in uh, Pawtucket with this Memorial Hospital. I interviewed the businessman whose group seemingly has taken it over. But it's it, it's it's unusual the way the nature of the building Memorial Hospital was used. And then we learned that the attorney general, again, Peter Narona, is um is getting involved in that. I'm just curious the legal element uh, that would permit the attorney general's involvement in this. I'm not sure exactly what allows Peter Nerona to get involved in this, but the um, developers or promoters who were looking or claiming that they were going to develop um, the old Pawtucket Memorial Hospital into um, low-income apartments, um, that developer has had all sorts of problems with projects that he's made promises on and is certainly not delivered on. He made promises regarding a development over at Water Place Park, which have yeah. not come to fruition. He's made promises um, that would be millions and millions of dollars in jobs and construction to convert this hospital into something useful like low-income uh, housing. Um, none of it's come to fruition. Um, I'm not sure if the mechanism that Peter Narona is using to step in candidly, but it does seem that it's time for the state to step in because this potential developer um, has not lived up to its promises and the state does have an interest in that property and in its development. Folks, again, he is our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food, drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there or you could sit out in the dining room don't forget the nice weather they have the deck open the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln delicious food and drinks awaiting for you i'll see you at the lodge you're listening to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com Randy Weingarten, she is the very powerful union leader. That is the same teachers union. American Federation of Teachers controls, I believe, Woonsocket, but definitely Providence, Warwick, Pawtucket. Well, she was on the hot seat. She was in Congress. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, it was her chance to question this Randy Weingarten. Let's pick it up with MTG. Ms. Weingarten, are you a medical doctor? I am not. Are you a mother? I am a mother by marriage. By marriage, I see. Um, and and my wife is here with me, so I'm really glad that she's here. Rather Our, Sharon Klein. Ms. Weingarten, and you haven't taught school since the 90s, so you're not a teacher anymore. I um, am actually 
representative, I'm actually on leave from my teaching position. And this fall, I will be teaching as a guest teacher at Cornell, my alma mater. It was, when was the last year you taught? 1997, is that correct? The last time I taught um, a, a full class was June 1997. Okay, that's been quite a long time, yep. approximately 26 years ago. Do you believe in the First Amendment, Ms. Weingarten? Um, I believe in the Constitution, including the First Amendment, of course. Oh, great. Well, I'd like to remind you of one of your tweets here where you agreed that my suspension on Twitter, uh, in your own words, politicians shouldn't be exempt from standards about spreading misinformation. Green has repeatedly shown reckless disregard for those standards. This suspension is justified. This is your tweet. Uh, just last year, January 2nd, 2022, I was uh, suspended for my statements about COVID-19 as a member of Congress, by the way. Um, and also, I'd like to point out by by the emojis by your name here. It looks like you're more of a political activist than anything. Uh, clearly, unfortunately, you think Ukraine comes before the United States. I'm not sure what the black flex is. I mean, it's, is that digital blackface? Um, but congratulations on graduating from school. Uh, but I'd like to No, it is about honoring black Ms. Weingarten, I reclaim my time. I didn't ask you a question. Sorry. What I'd like to talk about is your recommendations to the CDC as not a medical doctor, not a biological mother, um, and, and really not a teacher either. So what you did is you advised the CDC. Mr. Um, Mr. Chairman, that is, that, I mean, that's a, a Excuse me, this is my time. Uh, you advised the CDC to have schools uh, provide remote work uh, options for staff that have documented high-risk conditions who are increased risk for, for severe illness from COVID-19 to limit the risk of workplace exposure, uh, telework, virtual teaching opportunities, modified job responsibilities, environmental modifications, scheduling flexibility, temporary reassignments to different job responsibilities. None of, none of your um, advice was had to do with to stop the spread of COVID-19. It was all about teachers staying home. And there was big results of that. Let me tell you, I am a mother and all three of my children were directly affected by the school closures, by your recommendations, which is something that you really can't understand. Um, I'd like to point out, let's talk about the, the real effects of this. Obviously, we know the test results. Oh, and by the way, the, you celebrating what I had said on, on Twitter, I had said the children should be in school. I had said the truth, that children were not dying at high rates of COVID-19 like older people That's were. Right. I had also advocated yep. for our children, not for uh, teachers getting to stay home and kids being forced into virtual schooling. Yeah, I advocated for the safety of our children That's and for right. their education. But you, as a political activist for the president of the teachers union, we're not advocating for anything good for our kids. And no. our kids have suffered greatly. Yep. As a matter of fact, suicides increased. That's right. Their rates of learning went down. And you know what else happened to them? Anxiety, depression, yep. all kinds of problems happened to kids. And then ironically, here's something that was shocking to me. And I'll bring this up to you. You know what else happened? While kids were forced to stay home, and you approve of this, the diagnosis of youths with gender dysphoria surged. This is literally 2020, but yet this is 2021. And this is a problem. This is a major problem. And the direct effect of school closures can be seen here. These are diagnoses, diagnoses of gender dysphoria. And you can see it sharply increased after 20. 20 and 21, Thanks, Randy. it went up. The rates went up. So kids were forced to stay home into so-called virtual learning where they were spending a lot of time on social media. And all of a sudden we see a direct result of this. And this is a, this is a major problem. But the other problem is, is you had no business advising the CDC what the medical guidelines were for school closures, because now we have a nation of school children who have suffered because of it. The problem is, is people like you need to admit that you're just a political activist, not a Gentle teacher, lady, not a mother, and not a medical doctor.
That is exactly right. Now, folks, that is, now think of the power. That was Marjorie Taylor Greene, Rep, uh, Green, MTG, going after Randy Weingarten. Think of the power that someone like a Randy Weingarten has over just the, the failing public schools. The schools are failing. They continue to fail. And one of the reasons is is lack of school choice, especially in our area. Um, where the, the numbers are so low. Governor McKee at this point is not even attempting to try to improve the situation in any way. He's not challenging them in any way. He was too busy trying to get their endorsement. So as a result of that, there's been no headway gained. Um, a lot of the school districts that are completely underwater with the test scores are just atrocious. They're not doing anything to attempt to improve the situation. Governor McKee, instead, his focal point is after school and weekends. But you have to come back to what's being done during the course, as you'd call it, like the meat and potatoes of the school day, which I would I would say, you know, the bulk of that is in the vicinity somewhere of like 8 to 2, 8 to 2, uh, somewhere in there. And it is, listen, it's it's very... It's healthy, um, and it's tremendous for children to have after-school activities and increased learning and other activities. Young children should not be just sitting around wasting time after school. It's such a valuable part of their, their growing, of their learning, of their just their general existence. And too much time is wasted. But a lot of time is also being wasted during the course of the school day. And so Governor McKee, instead of addressing that, He's trying to put Band-Aids and just go, he won't address them head on. Instead, he's trying to do something, you know, after school. But that is Marjorie Taylor Greene taking on Randy Weingarten, calling it right out. She is, and, and she holds a lot of power with the Biden administration. And as MTG said, she's, she's not, hasn't been in a classroom since 97, not a doctor. They shut down the classrooms and kept kids at home it was all over money it was all a money grab as as we you know people were saying from the very beginning children were not dying from covid and when i think of sitting in some of those ridiculous meetings and all the protests and i covered one of them you know the teachers i think that was well, i can't teach from the grave and you know how are you going to feel young kids and everything none of that came to fruition none of it was true i think that's really interesting what mtg marjorie taylor green also pointed out about gender dysphoria how suddenly look at one of the results of the pandemic children are depressed they're confused did a lot of damage and right at the helm of that and who someone who should take the brunt of a lot of the blame is randy weingarten head of the teachers union folks you're listening to the john DePietro show to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm remember you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com folks visit the website on the website you'll see all our links to social media whether it's facebook or youtube instagram even tiktok plus you if you want to reach me that's the best way to do it we have unique original stories videos content log on right at the website dipetro.com Thank you.